my name is Cassie, and welcome to my corner of the universe, a space where I connect with other beings to talk about the events and experiences that shape us. This episode shares a long overdue conversation with the incomparable Shaylin Johnston. Shay is an award-winning Anishinaabe and Irish-Canadian writer living in Vancouver, and we spend this conversation catching up with all of the remarkable things she's accomplished in the last few years, as well as the lessons she's learned along the way. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm, you know, enjoying winter break. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, just getting like a little bit of a breather. But um, yeah, things are going good. You have had lots of very exciting creative endeavors, I feel like, in the last year or so. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been really fun. So I think it feels like so long ago. So back in 2018, I think it was 2018. Yeah, it was 2018. So back in so back in 2018, um, Telus Story Hive, which is this um, like community grant funding program that um, operates in both BC and Alberta, um, they do different um, film funding initiatives, and so they've done like documentaries, short films, web series, um, and in 2018 they announced they were doing their first Indigenous storyteller edition. Um, and so I was really on the fence about whether or not I was going to apply. Um, and it was like a last minute push from a friend to just do it. <laughs> so I submitted it, I think like the night, I submitted my application, I think the night before uh, the deadline and had amazing help from my, from my cousin um, who works in film as well um, and submitted it. And then, you know, just sort of pushed it out of my head. And then 2019 came along and I found out that um, my project was selected. So I, I was going to receive a grant from, from StoryHive and Creative BC, it's another agency here in BC to make a short film. Um, and so I spent a good chunk of 2019 making that film, uh, which was The Healing Dance, which was a short little story about a young Anishinaabe girl um, who learns about the origins of jingle dancing before she dances in her first powwow. Um, and it was a cute little four minute animation and it came out in the fall of 2019. Um, and, uh, and, and so we've, we've had some luck submitting it to, to film festivals in the last little while. It's been great. It's been getting, um, it played at the LA Skins Fest. It played at the Red Nation Film Festival. It played at the St. John's International Women's Film Festival. Um, we've just gotten into a couple more, which is really exciting. So I'm just, you know, this, this tiny little film um, that it, uh, is, is doing really, really well. And, and, you know, it was a lot of fun to make. And, you know, outside of that, um, I've been able to, you know, do sort of build off of that and do some other fun things as well. Um, do, do you want me to go into those as well? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so after, after the film came out, um, TELUS and um, the Imaginative Film Festival, which is the, I believe it's the largest Indigenous film festival in North America, 
um, and it's hosted in Toronto every year. Um, they, TELUS got together with them and they offered a um, film festival fellowship for um, TELUS Story High filmmakers. So I applied to that and got in. So that was a really great experience. I got to go and experience the Imaginative Film Festival for the very first time and had some really great meetings with, with um, film funders, producers, um, and just got to, you know, network and meet other filmmakers, which was great because as a writer, the, the sort of aspect of, of my place within the industry can feel very solitary at times. You know, a lot of the writing I do is just at home and then you send it off to other people. Um, so that was really great. I got to, you know, build, build my contacts and made some really great friends. And then, um, what else, what else did I get? I, I was accepted into the Netflix Banff Diversity of Voices initiative earlier, earlier this year. So unfortunately with COVID, I didn't actually get to go to Banff and experience the festival in person, but they, they, they put everything online this year. So I, I got access to, to all of these really great discussions with, with again, just like, you know, people at the, at the top of the film and TV game um, and got to, you know, learn a lot from, from all of them. And, and then this, this fall, uh, I was accepted into the Whistler Film Festival's Indigenous Filmmaker Fellowship. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a whirlwind. And that program involves, um, again, like meetings with, with creatives and Q&A sessions and, and panel discussions, um, a pass to the festival. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also working on developing a new story. So I get a mentor for that program as well. So I, I've been very lucky that, you know, despite everything going on in the world this year, I've had a really, I've had some really great opportunities to, to stay creative and, and in the, and in the zone. So it's, it's, it's all been fun. It's been a whirlwind and yeah, it's got me excited for, for the next year and just to, you know, keep writing and telling stories. That's an incredible two years. It really has been. I'm even just like recounting it all to you now. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I did that. I did that. I did that. It's how does that feel <laughs> to have accomplished so much so fast? What is that like? You know, in, in some, I think in some instances, I've, I'm very like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe all of this has happened in such a short amount of time. And at the same time, you know, it's also a little bit scary because it's sort of like, I feel like I have to keep the momentum going because, you know, if it's sort of like, if I hop off the moving train, like that's it, it's just gonna keep going. And so it gets, it, it can feel like a little bit stressful at times to, to, to want to keep that going, but also just like, feels really amazing to to be able to take advantage of a lot of opportunities that that have that have come out in in the last year and a half I just I I we've we met a long time ago we met in what 2014 2015 maybe yeah we're, we're both in school still and you were you were an undergrad I believe at the time you were doing creative writing undergrad and I wrote like you were the one person I knew who was in that program, which is a program I really wanted to pursue, but I discovered it too late in my undergrad because I was on a full ride and I couldn't like, I didn't feel like 
if it felt wrong to me to switch gears at the last minute and prolong my schooling because it was being paid for by something a different oh. entity so I was like I'm just gonna leave it but I really like enjoyed watching you and listening to your stories because I was like oh my god like this is amazing I and you know like uh growing up in Malaysia like a creative creativity is in general not something super encouraged working in the arts not really something people understand there um so just being here and like having someone so close do all of that was just really exciting for me and then you finished you did you TA for a bit then you went back into your MFA uh, so I graduated in 2016 with my for my undergrad and then I was originally going to apply right away to my MFA and just jump in and get started um but I, as I'm sure you recall it it's a lot <laughs> and I felt like I just needed some time away from from university so I so I packed up and I and I moved to the UK for a year just to you That's know right get, right yeah just to like get a, a different experience and do some traveling and and I had some friends over there um, and then and then came back um, and applied and was accepted into into the MFA program at UBC in creative writing and and I think because I had just come back from the UK I sort of just wanted to work for a little bit um, and so I was, I was accepted, but I deferred for a year. So I took a, I took a year off and just worked and caught up with friends and caught up with life and, and all of that. And, and then went back last September and started my MFA. So I've, I've just gone into my second year now. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Cause I feel like you had shared that you had gotten into your MFA quite a while ago. So I, I thought that you'd been in it for a while. So my apologies. No worries. <laughs> what is it did you always know that um filmmaking was what you wanted to get into even during your undergrad years no <laughs> no i i mean and i guess maybe you know because because like you i i didn't know that that program existed and and so i remember like being in high school and like having to like try and figure out what i'm gonna do after high school and so i just applied to a whole bunch of programs and i I had a film course in high school that I really enjoyed. So I thought, oh, I'll apply to that. And so I went to film school for a little for a little while and I enjoyed it, but it was really focused more on like the technical aspects and the sort of like more being on set. And I didn't really find anything within that that, that I was super passionate about. And so I took some time off after that and just worked for a bit, um, but, it, but all of this time throughout all of that, I was still writing. And it wasn't until I think 20, 2012, yeah, 2012, when I, when I realized that you could actually study writing in school. <laughs> and so, and so I applied to, I applied to CAP, to Capilano University initially and did their creative writing program and then transferred over to UBC. Did I answer the question? I forget oh, what it yeah. was now. You absolutely did. Cause I asked if um, you always knew that filmmaking was what you wanted to get into. Okay. Yeah. So, so I suppose in some, in some ways it was, but I just, I wasn't a hundred percent on what aspect of it it was. And it wasn't until I realized that I could, you know, just work on the writing aspect that, that I sort of felt like I made that, that connection to, yes, this actually is what I want to do. 
was school helpful for you in figuring that out? Like, do you feel like going to classes in undergrad and all of that actually helped you get to where you are now? Or do you feel like that was more of a personal journey and you would have gotten here anyway? I don't think that I would have gotten there on my own. Um, I really loved writing, but I didn't really have, you know, a whole entire grasp of, you know, techniques and development. And I was just sort of like writing, writing for fun and writing, you know, stories for my friends and that, you know, if it didn't really have a full three act structure, that was okay. <laughs> and so I found that that the programs that I was in were really helping me to realize, you know, the importance of character development, the importance of having that like three act structure in a story. Um, and, you know, learning, learning all of those rules so that not necessarily that you follow all of them, but so that you know what all of those rules are if you want to break them, as they say that some, you know, they say learn the rules before you break them. Um, and just and I think as well, because like I said earlier, writing can be so solitary. It was really great to have those programs to me to build my own community of writers. So I, you know, professors as well as students, I have people that I've kept in touch with ever since my very first class. And, and they're people that I trust to, to reach out to, to say, Hey, I'm working on this. Can you take a look at it? Because a lot of it is that like peer development um, of writing. Um, did you experience any fear when you started to share your creations with your peers, whether they were profs or peers? Yes. Yeah. I can, I can still remember like how nervous I was in my very first creative writing class, like handing something to the other students to to read and give feedback on because it's very, it's a very vulnerable place that you go to when you write um, because you're sharing something that, you know, is such an internal part of you out to other people to either say that they like it or they don't like it. And, you know, feedback goes a lot deeper than that now, but it's that initial feeling of what if they don't like it? Like, then, you know, what's that going to do to me? I'm going to feel like I'm an absolutely horrible writer. And there's like, this was the wrong career choice. And, you know, and then you just hit like one negative after the next until you're just feeling like nothing. So I've definitely adjusted to that over the years. And, and I've really learned to um, connect with that with that vulnerability and being okay with with submitting things to other people but yeah it was it was really scary the first the first couple times yeah i i imagine it would be because it's so personal and vulnerable um and to have it out there in the world to receive positive or negative feedback um just seems really daunting um i'm curious this is me and we don't have to go into this if you don't want to we can just move on to the next thing but um because you're your content is First Nations Aboriginal Indigenous related. Did you, have you ever come across someone who maybe lacks that kind of sensitivity in giving you feedback on the content or the work or the style? And how do you deal with that kind of feedback if you get, get that type of feedback? I know that like there are people that have had those experiences, but, but I can't, <laughs> I can't think of anything off the top of my head, which that's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. And, and I, and I, and you know, I know that like, you know, the things that I'm writing are not 
for everyone, but um, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not hearing that feedback. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm not really giving you a great answer for this. No, 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 no. And I think that's, that's really, I think that's a really positive experience for you almost because I feel like that was just something I had a personal curiosity about because the content is so personal and you know I remember like I studied English lit in my undergrad and I was maybe one of two people of color in my classes for the most part my mm -hmm. props were white everyone was mostly white the discussions were quite Eurocentric um and so I was just curious um whether those things come into play in your circle but it sounds like even if it does it doesn't sound like it sounds like maybe the community you work with are quite uh, culturally educated and sensitive perhaps yeah i think yeah i definitely feel like i've been a bit lucky in that sense is that i've i've you know been able to share my work with a lot of really um really I don't know the word that I'm looking for. I've I've been really lucky to to just share my work with people who 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 get it, or you know, if they don't, then then they're comfortable asking asking questions. I think, you know, it, it's come up if I've used the Ojibwe language, um, but you know, it's it's more so just people just asking for clarification so that they can understand understand better. It's been, yeah, it's. I've been lucky to have the experiences that that I've had within my workshops thus far. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> what is it like creating a story? I've heard people describe it as like birthing something or revisiting, you know, traumas or something like that. What is it like for you? I mean, those are all great descriptions. <laughs> and and very fitting i would say sometimes you know it can be really hard a lot of what i write is based on my own experiences and there are a lot of traumas um within that that i write um especially you know when i'm getting into my to my nonfiction pieces um and so yeah it can it can feel really if it's i feel like if it's nonfiction that i'm working on it can really be intense um, and sometimes, you know, there's there's more dark, dramatic things that I work on. And I feel like I have to put myself in a really dark place to get into those stories. So in those instances, you know, it can be really tough to just be, you know, sitting at my keyboard and crying because, you know, of the place that I've put myself into. Um, but there's also, you know, really beautiful moments where I'm like, oh yeah, and then this happens and then this happens and I just get really excited about the work. So I would say like, it is an emotional roller coaster to have to, not to have to, but to create something. Um, but I enjoy the process. I, I enjoy the process of, of getting, you know, to the end of a story, of a story with someone and having, and having that story be complete and then and then that's when I get excited about like sending it out to other people to see if they're connecting with the emotions the way that I was connecting with it. So I think, I think yes, it's like birthing birthing a story is a good way of putting it. And I would say you know it's also a roller coaster as well. <laughs> um, would you be comfortable sharing maybe any feedback or interactions you've had with someone who's watched or read your content or your films and you know 
just like what was that like the first time you received feedback from someone who's maybe a stranger who was just an audience member or something I mean, I haven't, I haven't had really instances where I've like read workout in person that hasn't been, you know, within like a workshop setting, but, um, for my short film for the healing dance. So tell a story have releases all of their films on to their YouTube platform and on their tell us on demand platform. Um, and so I think I was probably really nervous about that. Like, what are people going to say about the film? Um, and I was also really nervous because my, my friends in my home community, um, on, like on my reserve, we, we have like a community Facebook page and they were so excited and they shared it on that page. And so I was super nervous about that because I didn't grow up on my reserve. I grew up in the city. And so there's always this sort of like imposter syndrome that I, that I'm feeling, um, and so I was really nervous that, you know, I was, I was going to get some people saying like, who are you? And, <laughs> but the, the response was so positive and everyone was so excited to, you know, have more Ojibwe representation on the screen. And it was something that like their kids and their grandkids could watch. And to just hear people say that they were so proud to hear like our language on, in a film. Um, and to know that it was made by someone from the community, that that was that was probably the best reception of the film that I could have gotten anywhere else. Like it didn't matter if people, you know, that watched it on YouTube didn't like it. It didn't matter if, you know, it didn't get accepted into a certain festival because they didn't like it. The fact that like my home community loved it just you know, was probably one of the most amazing feelings to come out of creating that film. Yeah, I got goosebumps hearing you describe that experience. So that sounds really, really, really lovely. And um, I don't know much about your pre-2014 life because that's when we met. So all I know is that you transferred from CAP to UBC. But what was, does a lot of your childhood inform your writing, especially the healing dance, which was about a little girl? Yeah, so a lot of, so the way, the way that my life informs my writing is that, um, so I'm half Ojibwe, I'm half Ojibwe on my mom's side, and I'm Irish Canadian on my father's side, um, but my mom left the reserve when she was young, she moved across the country to Vancouver, and that's where I was born and raised, and, um, you know, because of the sort of traumatic events within my mom's childhood, she I think she didn't really pass on a whole lot of culture to me. So, you know, my mom, the Ojibwe language was her first language that she spoke. I remember her telling me that she didn't actually speak English until she was five years old. But, you know, by the time I came around, I maybe learned five or six words from her and I would ask her to teach me and she just didn't know where to start to teach me. So, so I never got to, got to learn the language fluently. Um, and, and I grew up in a very first nations centric community in East Vancouver. Um, and so I had some connections, but it was connections to almost, you know, a, a different culture, which, you know, I was still grateful for, but I still didn't really know a whole lot about where I was from. 
Um, and it wasn't actually until after, after my mom passed away and, and I was at UBC, I met another indigenous student. Um, and I've just become a fan of her since then. Her name's Nicole Cardinal and she was in the FNIS program. Um, and I met with her and I was interviewing her for a project for my, for my nonfiction class. And I was just like so amazed that she had gone back to her community to create stronger connections to know like her roots and where she and where she comes from and I was just so in awe of her and was basically just like tell me your secrets how did you do it <laughs> and and I remember her just saying like you can you you can google it like it's okay to just google like where you come from and I was and I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before and so I just started I started researching more about like where I come from and I started to like, you know, not be afraid to like ask more questions and it's sort of, it's sort of grown from there. And so what I've been learning about myself is I really feel, and then when I say myself, I mean, you know, like my, myself as an Ojibwe person and the culture and what I'm learning about, about all of that is I feel like that's affecting my writing because I feel like I have a responsibility to share what it is that I've learned with other people. So be it like the younger generation um, or you know other people who are in the same boat as me that grew up without that connection to culture. And so I really try to do that in, in the stories that I tell. Um, and then that's more for, you know, my, my fictional, dramatic film stories that I write. And then, you know, my nonfiction, I use a lot of the nonfiction sort of memoir journal pieces that I write is a lot about writing about that, that journey that I've been on sort of the relationship with my mom and the relationship that she had to her home and, you know, my own journey to to connect to to that home as well yeah and um I know that your mom passed away when you were quite young she passed away in 2007 so I was 20 yeah which is yeah. I don't know feels really young to me it, yeah <laughs> um what has it been like not having her through all of these milestones and incredible things you're doing it's been super tough. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been tough not having her there because, you know, I want her to, to see all of these stories and, and to, and to know sort of like all of these successes, I guess. Um, my, my mom dropped out of high school in grade 11. And so for her to, to not be there to see me graduate, you know, not just from like a, from like a college or university, but one that is like, you know, UBC's got like a pretty high ranking, you know, in the country and in the world and stuff. I think that, you know, that would have been really amazing for her, for her to see. Um, but I also know that, you know, if she wasn't here, then maybe I wouldn't have gone on this same journey that I've been on to, to reconnect to my culture. So you know, it's always like a little bit of like taking the good with the bad in, in that sense that, you know, if, if she was here, would I have still gone on the same journey? Would I still be on that journey? Um, would I, you know, would I even still have gone 
into film and writing or would I have just, you know, picked a menial job and stuck with that. There's, there's so many different what ifs, what if, what if, what if. Um, and so I try not to think about that too much because it gets me emotional. <laughs> yeah, but, sorry, we, we don't have to keep going. I was just, that was like a, just a personal question that I always wanted to ask you. Cause you know, every year in December, I, you share that, you know, it's another year since your mom has passed. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, like, it's just, it's a weird thing for me to say, but every December, I know that you're going to share it and I get really emotional oh. watching it. <laughs> and so I was just really curious, like, especially, you know, like, yeah, like a relationship with a mom is pretty special and it's such a personal journey and you're going like your film and your work is also really personal. So I was just really curious about all those pieces kind of. Yeah, connected. they're definitely, they're definitely intertwined. I don't think that, um, yeah, I don't think that I would have been on this journey without, without my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, are there other people in your life who, um, or maybe like surrogate parents or people who have kind of filled, stepped in for your mom's place a little bit to help you along this journey? Yeah, definitely. I have this sort of group of, of really strong women that, you know, um, one of them is my cousin, a couple of them are, are my friends and um, some of them were my teachers, some of them were, were colleagues and, and they've been people who have just, I feel like have come into my life to teach me the things that my mom didn't get to teach me. Um, and they've also, you know, just been there for like, cheerleading and being there to like answer all of these questions that always come into my head. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, I have a really great group of women around me that support me. Um, and I think that if my mom was here, she would be, she would be super grateful for, for all of them. That's so, that's really special. It sounds yeah. like to have. Yeah, and they're all they're all great. I always sort of get this feeling around around someone of just like a um, my mom knew I was going to meet you. <laughs> like, there's always you know that that like feeling that comes, and then I like I know that these these are special people. So it feels almost like she's watching over you and sending in the people that she knows you you need to to encounter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That feels. That feels very fitting. Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, yeah, that sounds just comforting even like thinking about it that way. Cause she's just not here in this world, but she's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Aw. I've really gone down like a, a sentimental <laughs> alley with this. See, this is, this is just like, this is just like telling a story. I mean, it is obviously because it's your podcast, but you know, the whole thing that I said about an emotional roller coaster, it's like we yeah. are having the ups and the downs yeah. here. I mean, but I think these are also what real conversations are made of, right? Because like kudos to the people who could do peppy podcasts all the time. But I, I at least for me, that's not my experience of life. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's not how I approach conversations with friends either. 
no no it's yeah this is this is good i'm i'm liking this oh thank you is there anything you would say to someone who maybe wants to go into the industry um and who's maybe in high school right now and not sure like maybe they want the success that you have and they're feeling like don't know how to do it seems wild do you have any mm -hmm. advice for them I mean, the best advice is always to just, the best advice is always to just, you know, like delve into, into the craft. So, you know, read lots of stories or if it's film you wanna get into, watch lots of movies, if it's TV, watch lots of TV, which seems so like counterproductive to like what we're raised with, like stop watching TV. All you do is sit around and watch TV, but it's like, if that's what you want to do, you need to like immerse yourself in it. You need to know what a good story is. You need to know what good characters are. And the only way you're going to learn that is by, you know, immersing yourself into the material. Um, so that's, that's one aspect. The, the other, the other aspect that, that I think is really important is um, one of my favorite quotes. I think it's F. Scott Fitzgerald who said it um is that in order to write about life first you must live it and i think that that's so important to just you know go out and have life experiences you know not experiences that are not just the high school experience that are not just the university experience you know when i took that year off and traveled the world i felt like i learned so much more about you know not just myself but you know how other people around the world live because you know when you only live in one place how how do you how do you connect with with other people and i mean you probably know this that's growing up in growing up and living in in two different places as well is you learn so much by by going and experiencing life in other places and so i would say um go go and live life travel and explore and meet other people get out of your comfort zone because you know all of those experiences they don't even they don't only shape you as a person but you know they shape your writing as well that's just spectacular advice um and i think that's so true because i think too many people are afraid of change and afraid of experiencing things right and whether that's them being held back by the people around them their caregivers their parents whoever or just personal barriers that we put up. And it's such a disservice to ourselves. Yeah, you know, I'm, I am someone who likes routine and I like structure and I like to know what's going to happen. And so picking up and deciding to move across the world was the craziest decision that I ever made. And all of my friends and family will tell you, yeah, I never thought that if anyone was going to pick up and move that it was going to be her. But, you know, and going back to my mom, I remember just before graduating in 2016, I remember um, coming across a letter. So after my mom passed away, I found all of these old notebooks full of journal entries from her. And in one of them, I found a letter from her that she had written, I think, um, earlier in the year before she passed away and this letter and this journal entry had said, you know, if there was one thing that she wished she could have done, it was to see more of the world. And so I felt like that letter had been waiting for me to see, you know, just before I graduated and just before I decided what I was going to do next. And it was sort of in that moment, I decided 
okay, I'm going to move somewhere else and I'm going to, and I'm going to just experience the world. Um, so that was, that was that defining moment for me. Wow. It sounds like your mom has just been like this, this entity in the background behind you always. Right. <laughs> it's, it's so lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, in terms of like going out into the world and experiencing it, I think anytime we allow ourselves to step out of our comfort zone, the potential to experience and see new things is so great. And mm -hmm. it's so important. And actually that was one of the things that really struck me when I moved here because, you know, in Malaysia, there's a lot of diverse cultures. And then I went to an international school for the last few years. So again, lots of different people in one space. and you know, also people coming and going a lot. So your group of friends constantly evolving, um, you know? And then when I moved here, I realized that, oh, a lot of people here don't really travel. And a lot of people have the same friends that they've had since they were in kindergarten right up until university. And it was something I had never even like thought existed in the world <laughs> until yeah. then. And, it, and, and I was about 20 and I was like, oh. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to throw any shade on those folks, but I do think their perspective is quite narrow mm -hmm. because when you mix with the same people who also have the same experiences as you, that doesn't make the whole world. No, it doesn't. No, I get you 100%. And, you know, I was one of those people who, yeah, I've got my group of friends that I've had since I was like four. <laughs> and, and, and to, to just, you know, break away from that, you know, there's the, there's the friends that you meet when you go away to school at university. And then, you know, and, and then you get to branch out even further from that. And there's friends that you get to meet when you go to a new country. Um, and it teaches you so much, not just about, you know, meeting new people, but what you learn from those people as well. Like you said, if you just have the same group of friends, your entire life, your worldview is always just going to be the same. And there's so much growth in just meeting new people. Have you ever experienced fear in going into the work that you do or the experiences that you've had, like even, you know, deciding to move away? Um, do you experience fear? What is your, what are your thoughts on fear? How do you get go around it, <laughs> go through it? Yes, I, yes, I, experience fear I would say nonstop <laughs> in both in both life and work I mean to talk about fear right now in this pandemic I would be you know probably hard-pressed to find anyone who hasn't had a moment of fear this year um so there's that aspect of it and then you know of course the fear of sharing your work for the first time with someone who sort of isn't in your inner circle and you know the fear of their opinion there's there's the fear of rejection when you send something out to be published or into a contest or in that in that aspect there's and then, you know, when I moved across the world, there was, there was so much fear in that. There was fear of what if, what if I can't find a job? What if I can't find a place to live? What if I don't make any friends? What happens if I get sick while I'm living abroad? What happens if someone back home gets sick while I'm living abroad? Um, and that fear can be very consuming if you, if you let it. And, and so it's about, you know, 
trying as much as you can to not let that fear take over and just sort of pushing yourself, you know, again, it comes back to sort of pushing yourself out of your boundaries and allowing for the vulnerability and, and letting and not staying inside your head. I find that I get so wrapped up in, in the things going on in my mind sometimes um, that if you, if you sort of let the external in being, you know, your friends and your family around you, that a lot of those fears get, get pushed, pushed down and pushed away and, and, and cleared out. So yeah, that is, that is my relationship with fear. I feel like there's, there's fear in a lot of things, but there's also a lot of, of ways to, to help it not be so big. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that. Cause actually right before this call with you, I was thinking about like a certain topic. So I was speaking with Allison right before this as well for a recording, Allison Yang. Um, and we were talking about a specific topic and I was reflecting on it between the two calls and I was thinking about like oh like a year ago if you told me I would so openly talk about this I wouldn't have believed you but it's because like I've really consciously made an effort to talk more about it this year also started therapy and like you know I've maybe spoke about it like four times now and I'm like wow it's actually it actually gets easier every time because it gets smaller and smaller yes Yes. Talking um, about it. And oh my gosh, therapy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I've actually only mentioned it once to my therapist very briefly. And I think she knew how scared I was. So she didn't really spend too much time at that point working through it. And I'm sure we will in the future work that we do. But mm-hmm. I think just like me saying it to her and then like in conversations with certain people when the topic allows, like bringing it up makes it like, okay, so it's really interesting how the brain processes difficult things, especially childhood traumas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I didn't realize like how much sort of growth there is in, in talking, not just, you know, as, as like a performance, but just, you know, having like those, those one-on-one conversations, whether it's with your friends or a therapist or, you know, someone that you don't know, maybe, (laughs) but it, yeah, it brings down the level of fear, but also I find that talking about fears also creates connection because then you find that, like, you're not the only one that, that feels that way. There's, um, there's definitely a lot of connection and vulnerability I have learned um because I think especially from my culture and my background like you don't really share things that are difficult or hard you push them down especially if you're a girl you never talk about it um but then coming here and you know going into my 30s and all of that and like being in a relationship I'm like oh like I actually can't not talk about these things because you just can't like it's not an un- it's not a healthy way to go about life not talking about difficult things because it comes up in other situations like if I have a disagreement with my partner and I suddenly feel like it's bringing up in disproportionate amount of anger which I'm like I had to really step back and be like what is happening to me why mm-hmm. am I reacting so badly to something quite small and doing that kind of work and you know I found a lot of comfort in sharing talking to other people about things 
And I think when, I think it's hard, right? Because a lot of cultures teach us you can't, you can't show weakness. Mm-hmm. But then you grow up and you're like, no, actually, this is how we are all human and this is how we connect to each other. Yeah. And there's so much strength in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I find that, um, my, my cousin and I, we, we talk probably once a day and a lot of it is talking about, you know, like our fears and our frustrations and, and yeah. And same, same as you is like the generations before us, they didn't talk about, about those kind of things. And, and, you know, I think being indigenous, a lot of that is, is trauma from, you know, the Indian residential school system, the Indian day school system. Um, a lot of, a lot of that trauma and the fact that they don't talk about things stems from a lot of that. And so it, for us, we, we constantly acknowledge each to each other. And and my cousin has two young children is it's constantly us acknowledging that we want to break those cycles and we don't want to be people that don't talk about these things. And and yeah, and there's, there's so much growth in it. And I know that it's like scary to like have those first initial conversations about, you know, when you're not someone who has spoken so openly before to suddenly become someone who's trying to be, there's a lot of struggle in that, but there's also so much beauty to come out of that growth of being able to talk about these things. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. Um, So to wrap up, I'm curious if you could go back to any past versions of yourself or any times in the past, um, is there anything you'd like to say to Shay of the past? And what would you say? Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's, there's so many. But I mean, there's so many different moments that I would like to go back to and be like, no, do this instead. But, you know, like I think about like high school because, you know, high school, I just, I really wasn't, wasn't there for it. I was there to focus on my like band class and my drama class and my film class, but everything else, I just, I didn't care for. And, and so I would think I would go back and say, you know, put some work into the, into the other classes. <laughs> um, and then I think, you know, I'm, I'm the person in, in my group who like documents everything. I'm always taking pictures. I'm always taking videos and stuff. And I maybe would have done more of that several, several years ago. I have like a couple videos of my mom and I wish I had taken more. Um, so I would, I would, I would document more. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I could probably think on this and be like, yeah, I would, I would, I would do this instead. And I would do this instead. And I would do this instead. And, and I would probably just end up going down a dark hole of like, yeah. And I probably could have done this instead. And I probably okay. could have done this. <laughs> Let's not go down that road then. <laughs> no, but you know, is, yeah. But at the same time, it's also important to remember that like, yeah, you know, I could go back and make all of those changes, but would I necessarily end up in the same spot that I'm in now? And, and I probably wouldn't. And, and so I'm happy where I am. Um, and so, you know, it's fun to think back on what if, but 
I'm also, I'm also enjoying the journey and I'm having fun with the journey and yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you're hoping to follow Shay, all you have to do is Google her and you'll find her very easily. I'm also including a link to her short film, The Healing Dance, in today's show notes. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Instagram at Corner of the Universe Pod. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a review on the show and share this episode with a friend. This episode marks the end of season one of Corner of the Universe. I'll be taking some time to focus on some other projects, but plan to return for season two in the spring. I hope you're well, and I look forward to sharing more stories with wonderful humans very, very soon. Take care.